Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Gigabit Nation, Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to thank you for taking time to be with us today as we provide useful information and insights to help public, private, and nonprofit organizations get more, better broadband everywhere it needs to be in the U.S. Uh, today I'm broadcasting live from Mountain Connect, which is a rural broadband conference in Colorado, and there are uh, just an enormous number of folks here. Dozens of communities are, are represented. Uh, there are just a lot of these communities are, are at the planning stage, but definitely there's high interest in moving uh, forward with some sort of, of broadband project. So obviously it's a great environment for me, and I am extremely happy uh, to be here. Uh, an interesting thing happened uh, several weeks before the conference when I was talking with um, Jeff Gavlinski, who is the uh, conference organizer. Uh, also, he has a, an ISP uh, company, Skyworks Industries, and we were talking about the content. You know, what is it that people come away, sure, should come away from these shows knowing? And, you know, as a speaker at these conferences, I mean, this is always obviously top of mind for me, but I think that as a industry, if I look at the communities that are out there, uh, if I look at the, the players, the vendors, the ISPs, and so forth, there are media, there are sources of communication, uh, there are conferences, there, there are uh, magazines, there are webinars, all this stuff pushing the gospel of broadband and, and gigabit cities. But the question is, when people come away from all of these various communication outlets, what are they coming away with? And maybe more importantly, what are they coming away without? And what kind of information should they be getting or demanding from these various ve uh, venues that they're using? So I decided to have my now new best friend, Jeff, be a guest on, on the show because he had some really good um, you know, information. So Jeff, welcome to um, Gabe Nation. Thank you, Craig, for having me on. Um, really excited about the show this year. Um, if you, you know, this year is our fourth year. Um, and you know, if I do a comparison between last year and this year, we've really, um, we've really grown the event quite mm -hmm. a bit. So last year we had you know 110 people, um, eight sponsors, three exhibitors, and you know, we sat in one room for two days and heard presentation after presentation. And you know, I kind of felt when I left last year that there was more that we could do and more that needed to be done. Mm -hmm. And so this year we sold out. So we have about 275 people, 40 sponsors about 50 speakers and 21 exhibitors. So I'm pretty excited about, um, from that perspective, how that's grown. Now, mm -hmm. I think the best part of it is is that we figured out a way to construct um, three tracks per hour so that we are providing a lot of different rich content. Mm -hmm. And you know, this year, one of the focuses um, that I felt is gonna add a lot of value to people who are participating in the conference is the fact that um, I went out and tried to find an example across the country um, that could be emulated here mm -hmm. um, in Colorado. And so I brought in Phil Halstead from the Partnership for Connected Illinois, and he did our first keynote yesterday. Right. Um, so we need, to, we need to broaden the discussion, and we need to uh, broaden the voice. And so what we're going to do with, um, in terms of your first comment um, is at the end of the conference today, our last panel is going to be 
sort of an actionable steps panel, mm -hmm. and that'll be you know thought leaders from the conference who are going to sit and talk about what can people do when they leave Mountain Connect this year. What can they do when they go back to their communities? What kind of steps can they take mm -hmm. um, to add value to their communities? So next year, when we broaden the discussion, um, we we hopefully have accomplished accomplished something in terms of a success story. Mm -hmm. And that's good. And I should also mention that we have a second guest uh, on the show today, uh, Ron Braden, who is the IT director for the town of Vail, which is actually where Mountain Connect is happening. So this is uh, a very scenic place. And Ron, also welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, you know, you have a perspective actually going back as long as I've been in the broadband, uh, community broadband space, because you guys were very active in the whole Muni Wi-Fi era back in 04, 05, when that was the big um, thing. That was everybody yep. was trying to, trying to do that. And so I wanted to bring a perspective from, you know, a provider of information to communities and a community who's been through a lot of this um, effort for the benefit of our listeners, because really what we want to, want to talk about is what's, <clears throat> what's the info that you don't know? I mean, obviously you can pick up any, any magazine from, you know, any of the broadband sources, the technology pubs, and even now some of the mainstream press, and you can read about, you know, gigabit cities and broadband. But one of the questions I have, uh, and, and you know, we talked about this earlier, is people, there are like two groups of people. There are people who um, understand what broadband is and they get it. And they have been following broadband for a while. But there's a lot of people who are coming into it new. I mean, there are a lot of people, I've been, I've been at the uh, Calix booth, um, I'm signing books. And a lot of the people that are coming in are also at the very beginning stage. They're here for the education. So when you go to a, a publication, when you go to a webinar, when you go to a conference, isn't there really a case where your audience is, is pretty diverse and you have the risk of either not giving them enough information or giving them too much information for where they are? And I'll start with, um, with you, Jeff. You know, what's your perspective on this sort of duality of, of audience and, you know, and, and how do you address that? And then, then, Ron, I want you to sort of talk about it from the, uh, the community perspective. You know, as you go and view these things, are you feeling that they're, you know, in tune with where you are or not? Because obviously okay. you're in a different place than yep. a number of folks. So, so as you mentioned, there's, there's a balance of participants. We have county commissioners. We have um, we have IT directors from towns and from and from counties. <clears throat> we also have educators, people from hospitals, mm -hmm. and so we have a, a, a really nice blend of subject matter experts to people who don't really know what needs to happen. And so, you know, part of having someone like um, Ron Braden here to talk about what they did in the town of Vale, which, mm -hmm. by the way, is one of the reasons why we are having the conference here because of what they've accomplished. And I'm sure Ron will talk about that. But it's a balance about how, what kind of information do you provide. And so in that last panel discussion, I think it's important for us at a very high level to, to provide actionable next steps for, for everybody. And then what's even more important, I think, is how do we continue the discussion um, within each community, um, even up to a state level, so that we have a best practices uh, methodology that we have in place so that people can learn from from other examples. Um, I, I'm pretty sure that if another Western Slope Mountain community wanted to uh, emulate what's, what's been done here in Vail, 
um, there's a lot of value in learning from the experience that, that Ron and the town went through. Would you not you agree with that, Ron? I do. I do, definitely. Mm -hmm. So now, yeah, so, so from your perspective, how do you, you know, view, you know, conferences and media? Are you, you know, are you getting stuff for where you are in the perspective because you're further along or is a lot of the stuff that people are getting, is it really, you know, broadband 101 still? It is. I think it is still broadband 101 because, they, you know, they need, they don't know what they want. They okay. don't know what they need. And so part of that, you know, the education process is, you know, what problem are you trying to solve? Mm -hmm. And for them to be able to come to a conference like this and hear about different projects with different solutions from a 30,000-foot level, that helps them understand, you know, different solutions for, you know, and see if there's anything that applies to their you know, their particular municipality or county mm -hmm. um, or entity and, um, you know, and seeing if they can, they can apply that. Mm -hmm. and, you know, one, one other thing I think is important is not, there's not one solution that fits all communities. Mm -hmm. And so that's, again, where some balance comes in to how, you know, the information is being dispersed uh, at these conferences. Mm -hmm. So, and, oh, no, go ahead. Go ahead. And, and one of the things I did bring out in, at the conference is that, you know, it takes time. Every mm -hmm. every one of these projects takes time. Um, you need to be patient. Uh, there's a process that you have to go through. Um, you need to invite the stakeholders in, uh, in the community, to educate them about what you are doing so that you can get buy-in from the community because you truly need the buy-in from the community to get buy-in from your town council or your county commission. Mm -hmm. um, so it's it's a long drawn out process. So now in your case, so Vale has been at this, if I'm remembering my morning session, from ninety six, wasn't it, when you first yep. kind of dipped in? So you have seen the cycle of, you know, pre community networks to muni Wi Fi, that whole hype and hysteria mm -hmm. age that died off, and then there was the broadband stimulus and then broadband has gone through uh, another phase of, of hype and, and everybody should do this, everybody should do this. How would you sort of define, I don't know, some of the key stages of a community's development and maybe for each one of those, like pick three, but of those three stages, what kind of information should they communities be getting if they're at each of these three stages? Um, again, identifying the problem. You know, where is your sore spot in your community. What are are you missing? Are you, like you said, there's a lot of components to it. There's there's wireless broadband, there's wired broadband, and there's cellular broadband. So what is your particular heartache? And, and then just once you know what your problem is, then you can start uh, addressing solutions to uh, to fix that problem. Mm -hmm. That's one stage. That that is one stage, and then and then you start going into your planning stage, talking to different uh, different vendors, talking to different consultants, getting a lot of different viewpoints, um, starting to get into you know conceptual. Okay, you have to then you start making the business case for it, because in the end you're going to have to sell the project to to somebody, whether it's a you know a third party vendor in a public private agreement or whether it's, you know, your town council or your county commission. So you need to start building that business case mm -hmm. uh, immediately. Okay. So that would be your second stage. And that's also when you start getting into your community involvement. 
where you're bringing in the stakeholders, the people that are going to be affected, um, whether directly or indirectly, and in bringing them into the picture so that so that there's no surprises. Okay. So now, Jeff, from your perspective as a content deliverer, if you will, mm-hmm. um, how do you address the issue of you know you've got people in the room now? Again, you know, I'll come back to the you know, you're you're planning this. Um, session at the end of the show to sort of talk about what what happens next. But if you kind of go back to say four months ago when you were planning this session, did you take into account the varying levels or the different stages that your audience might be at, and what was your you know decision in terms of how you would present information based on those differences of your audience? Well, you know, I, I think we still have to keep things at a fairly high level. Okay. Um, there are too many people at different stages, and so we, we might get a little lost if we had a, a discussion that included a lot of detail. So I think if we keep things at a very high level and talk about logical next steps, um, even what Ron just said, very logical approach to you know how you get a municipal project started um, and moving forward. But you know one of the other things I wanted to mention was that um, you know I think one of the things that we need to be really cognizant of is defining solutions based on actual need, mm-hmm. and then and, and obviously thinking about your your near term future as well in terms of capacity consumption. But instead of you know, I think today one of the issues we have is we focus on numbers rather than what is the actual need of a community. Right. And let me I, I, let me interject here. Um, <clears throat> we had a discussion in the room where. Um, where Calix uh, Network is, is uh, was presenting, and um, they uh, presented uh, sort of the, the overview of the land relative to gigabit, right, and then why these different networks are coming up, uh, offering gigabit speed. And an interesting point that came out of this one particular question from the audience, which is, well, you're selling a gigabit network, if everybody gets a gigabit, won't that won't the network in essence implode? And the point that I made back to them is that what communities need to know is they need to understand the difference between you know network capacity and when, what individuals need, and understanding the gigabit in that context. Because you can build a gigabit network, but everybody doesn't necessarily need a gigabit, will or will get a gigabit even if they are eligible for it. Or will they use it at the same or will, time? Or will they use it right, at the same right, time? Right. But yeah. as, a, as a community bro- uh, project team, they really need to understand this. And in and, and, and a lot of the discussions I know that I hear and I go to a lot of conferences, like no one focuses on that, you know, the, that basic fundamental, but it's key to how you actually implement. And then the other part is also understanding the marketing aspect of a gigabit. You know, whereas, as Dave Russell said from Calix, it is a concept now more so than a number, thanks to Google. You know, like it's a way of life. It's a, it's a type of community. It's a, it's a position. And again, communities need to know that as well. They need to understand this marketing aspect of broadband. And these are like you know, two examples of knowledge that people need that kind of get lost over in a lot of you know, media stuff that goes out. Well, and I, I would say two things. Uh, an example, a great example was presented by um, Jim Selby as part of Ron's mm-hmm. presentation this morning, which is u- utilizing or seeing a, you know, one terabyte a day of data being consumed, right? On a right. hundred meg, a 
100 megabit connection. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. So what does that tell you? Right? Lots of small amounts of data being used, but right. not, you know, gigabit data. Right. Or gigabit, I guess, amounts of data and speed and so forth. So, you know, my comment earlier about doing a needs-based assessment, I think what Google's doing is outstanding. However, I think we need to have some caution um, with the way that's being marketed because I think if we make an attempt to deliver a gigabit of capacity to small businesses and homes, how many small businesses and how many homes, A, can take advantage of that, and B, what's their utilization today? Again, it goes back to need, mm -hmm. um, I think, more so than anything else. Mm -hmm. Do you... Uh, from your position, Ron, do you see us um, <clears throat> in a uh, still in a hype-heavy mode, or have we started to, uh, I don't know, tone down the rhetoric to more logical terms? I mean, how would you sort of rate the the state of communication that the average community gets nowadays? I think the rhetoric is is going down a little bit. Okay. Um, I think you know what I call market exuberance. Um, has tend to settled out a little bit, like you were saying, and, and you know, in 2004, 5, and 6, mm -hmm. Wi-Fi was just all the rage. And then it fell off the face of the map, um, literally that quickly. And, and we're not, we're seeing a little bit, we're not seeing that same exuberance um, with broadband. Um, I think it's coming up a little bit more cautiously, a little bit more sustainably. Mm -hmm. um, and, you, and you bring up a good point, and, and so does Jeff, in that you need to, as you're designing your system out, you need to future-proof it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, start thinking ahead, start thinking of, you know, what is, what is this going to look like five years from now? What is mm -hmm. this going to look like six years from now? And that, that really helps you to, uh, to design your network when you try to think out that far. Mm -hmm. Now, is the... Does the average community have a role, do you think, uh, Ron, in forcing, you know, the media or the providers of content uh, some sort of pushback to say, you know what, you're, you're overhyping this thing. I, I, I think this is just way too much and it's way too, you know, pie in the sky. You know, you need to turn that down. I mean, I don't know if communities get to that point or feel comfortable, you know, if they're not the IT person from, you know, community X or Y. Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to do because, like you said, you know, the, you know, the vendors feed the media, the media feeds the vendors, and then you just get into a, into a frenzy. Mm -hmm. You know, the end game is they're trying to sell um, right. something. And, and because of that, you know, they're going to push as hard as they can. And, and so they're there's in some ways you can't control that mm -hmm. you know you can't control it just like you can't control wall street right so it's you know you just have to educate people on you know what your capabilities are and and what your problems are and what you're doing to to address them but and i talked about it this morning is that you know you need to be creative and you need to do something Mm -hmm. You know, whatever it is, there is no right. wrong answer. Right. Um, you can always make course corrections, but at least be engaged and, and be thinking ahead and, and be involved and be doing something. Right. So now, from what what about from you know from your perspective? Do you do you see communities having a uh, some sort of lever to dial back you know the hype and 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 force better content be delivered to them? I, I, I happen to agree with Ron. I, I think that's a real tall order. Um, unless, of 
course, the community is providing the service, which we don't mm -hmm. see that very often in Colorado, given the way our, our, our laws are written. Here. Right. So I, I agree with Ron. Okay. And, and, and just on that point, too, I mean, in some ways, we can harness and use that, that you know, the media and that hype um, to, you know, to advance our objectives. Right. Um, we did it here in Vail when, when we knew we had a carrier problem on the cellular network and our residents and guests were outraged and they were, you know, they were taking out full page ads in a local newspaper that actually helped our business case and helped our cause mm -hmm. um, to sell the project because, you know, because everybody knew it was needed. We weren't, we didn't have to, um, we didn't have to sell it from that standpoint. Mm -hmm. So we used, basically, we used the, uh, the media to uh, advance our objective. Okay. So that's a, that's a good uh, point. And I think that in the case of Chattanooga, they're probably the poster child for initiating and controlling the media. Would, would you guys agree? I, I, I would. Would you, would you not? Yeah. Yes. And I don't think that that's necessarily something that cities, though, do naturally. I mean, you know, you've been in, in you know, city government for a you know, number of years. Yeah, we, we don't. I mean, we tend to be in, you know, in a reactive mode as opposed to a, a proactive mode. But a lot of it depends on, you know, how many, you know, what type of resources you have in, mm -hmm. your, in your community, in your public information office to, to address those issues. Right. So is the um, key then, well, let's, let's try this from a different perspective. Um, is there the ability <clears throat> to somehow educate different components of your community stakeholder realm so that, you know, your, your, you know, your media folks for, uh, say, the chamber in the city, you know, pick up a certain type of education so that they can... Uh, control or, or just shape the media? You know, is there certain kinds of information that you send your city managers and your city finance officers so that they, you know, get some sort of education on, you know, the, the numbers side of, of broadband? You know, you have, can, can you break it down that way and, and somehow try to, I don't know, get them up to speed? You know, one, one thing I think is really important, to, especially from a town or a city perspective, is the fact that if you approach this from an economic development perspective and can demonstrate how infrastructure change can influence sales tax dollars. That's one way mm -hmm. I, th I think to get the point across, but uh, definitely I would agree. I mean, it, it all starts with economic development, you know, and guest services in, in our case. So that, that drives everything. And, and we talk about it on a regular basis. How can we use technology to advance our economies mm -hmm. uh, more so than just, um, you know, than just service for the residents. Mm -hmm. So, and that helps to play into, you know, how we're going to um, strategically develop our product. And then, and then it's a matter of getting the council engaged so that they can hear about it. And, and then that information then gets disseminated to the, uh, the local media and that's how it gets pushed out to the public. We, we do regular press releases on uh, on our projects. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Did you have any additional thoughts on that, or? No, I no, I I totally agree with what Ron is saying, and he's he's best to comment on that anyway, because <laughs> he works in that town and I don't. So I right, see right. I see it from the outside, but mm -hmm. I think there's 
there's different ways to drive the discussion. If we talk about uh, economic development, you can also make a good case for how, economically speaking, um, if you have a charter or a private school, how that enrollment could be impacted. If I'm a location-neutral business or employee, mm -hmm. um, and I have a choice to make of where I want to live, one of the things I'm going to look at um, is, is education. If I have a family, I'm going to look at medicine. I'm going to look at amenities. But most importantly, I'm going to look at how can I operate my business out of my home. And if it comes down to a community that um, you know, doesn't have the right kind of infrastructure, what's the impact of that community and do they even know? Are they even, are they even tracking this? So yeah, I, I think this is another, in, this is a conversation I had with our, our executive director of the League of Charter Schools in Denver, this very point. Mm -hmm. It's not the answer, but it does have an impact. Mm -hmm. And so how do, we need to be cognizant of that as well. Mm -hmm. So it impacts a lot of different areas. Right. And one of the things, um, I'm not sure we're in, in the sort of the scheme of trying to, you know, shape the messages that communities receive is that um, economic development is called one of the default top three things that everyone talks about when they talk about broadband. Right. So a vendor will wrap their, you know, their marketing message into economic development and media, uh, you know, magazines and stuff will talk about, you know, the new economy or the broadband economy. And then conferences, you know, spend a certain sliver of time or a greater slice of time talking about economic development as well. Is, is that the topic maybe that would allow the broadband discussions to move from the realm of hype and marketing exuberance into an, an area that people can talk about and understand. So that, for example, you can say, well, you know, one of the things that broadband does is allow people to develop, uh, you know, take courses to develop their skills so they can maybe get a better job. And then if you bring it to that level, then you're no longer talking about bits and feeds and all the technology. You're talking about a very real application. But, I, but, does, but does that kind of movement then lead to better information being delivered to the communities about you know, either what their broadband options are, what their technology should be, et cetera? We'll start with the broader. Either way. We live in a, you know, on the western slope of Colorado, we live in a very tourism-intensive uh, area. And, you know, I would say that given what Town of Vale is doing, um, they are delivering, delivering a solution that meets the needs today and the future of not only their citizens, but the many thousands of tourists that come here. When they travel here from New York or mm -hmm. from wherever they're coming from, the expectation that's already been set where, where they call home is also being met here. And, and so this is another... One, one thing that influences um, the discussion around economic development is, is we need to have solutions like what we have, what they're working on here in Vail, mm -hmm. all over the Western Slope because of it, the tourism impact is, is immense. Mm -hmm. and second home um, purchasers, same thing. They bring their expectations from wherever it is they call home out to the Western Slope. And sometimes I think when people don't really understand how broadband's impacting their community, um, once they do find out, I think it's a, in some ways is a game changer. And I'll give you an example. Um, 
Three years ago, Steamboat Springs, Colorado was one of the first places to actually count and measure their location-neutral employees and businesses. Mm -hmm. And at the time, um, the, the contribution of that group of people was equitable to any other um, industry segment. Today, and, and as reported at, at our conference, um, location-neutral employees and businesses are now contributing more locally than any industry segment. Mm -hmm. So it's a huge impact. But how many communities are actually looking at that? Mm -hmm. The governments don't look at it necessarily because, you know, if I'm a location-neutral business. No one knows <laughs> I exist because I don't have an office. Mm -hmm. But but the national trend is that LNEs and LNBs, their their income, generally speaking, is above six figures. So where are they spending that money? Mm -hmm. They're spending that money locally. locally. Mm -hmm. So it's a huge impact. Right. It's not the answer, but it, it's, it, it is... Um, certainly a solution like where I live in down in Durango where we're trying to pursue more of that. Mm -hmm. and, and, and again, it kind of seems that um, it's a ground on which you can have a discussion without getting people lost. Right. right? Exactly. Yeah. And then I think that's, that's key. You know, one of the things I, I thought that was interesting, so there have been, um, let's see, I, I, I must have talked to about three dozen people so far, like between yesterday and today. And a common, act, or a, a common activity that seems to have a lot of people um, excited is this idea of doing some regional workshops that are strictly educational, you know, low on the hype, but, you know, high on, on the facts, where they can get groups of, of um, uh, like one, one person was thinking about groups of elected officials. With another one, it's, you know, groups of their stakeholders, whoever they may be. In another case, it might be city managers. Because Centennial, I, I did this workshop for Centennial where it was economic development folks and um, city managers from several communities around Centennial. But um, it seems like the, the state has focused on setting up workshops and funding workshops as a way to get the education level up, right? To create an environment where people can come, they can talk to each other, but their, you know, requirements, or at least I'm getting the impression that we requirements that, you know, it's low on the selling and high on, you know, information relative to needs. And that's a way to go. And, and like I said, it seems like people are very hyped about that. So like, Ron, you know, what's your take on that approach and then, you know, Jeff, what's your, t you know, take from your perspective thing? No, I think it's good because, you know, people, 90% of the people out there don't understand technology. They mm -hmm. do not, they don't know the difference between cellular and Wi-Fi, how it works, um, you know, what's behind it. And, the, and they don't necessarily care either from that perspective. So you, you have to keep it at that really high level, um, educating them about, you know, about not only the process, but the different, you know, the different technologies that are out there, the different mediums. And, and it's a good way to, you know, again, to educate the public and even educating, you know, the leaders. That, mm -hmm. That's key as well, because they, they simply don't, they know that technology plays a very important role, and they're willing to admit that, but they don't know what that means. Mm -hmm. and, and that's, and that's what we have to overcome, is we have to educate them how technology is is used in their in their communities. Mm -hmm. You know, I would say that in some ways we 
that construct already exists in the state. We have, uh, I believe the last number I saw was 15 local technology planning teams. So I chair one of these down mm -hmm. in southwest Colorado. So in most cases, it's, it's a very regional approach. And so uh, if you look at who comes to these meetings once a month, it's public and private sector folks from the region. The one issue I think that, or the one failing, if you will, that we have is that all 14 or 15 of us are operating in a silo when we should be having ongoing conversations. Mm -hmm. um, and we should probably do a better job of marketing actually what we're doing in, in our regional communities. So, so is, is that, if, if I can maybe extrapolate then, is that saying then you, you, you keep and go forward with the regional planning groups, but there should be some mechanism by which information is funneled and shared by the group at large in some logical, coordinated way. Yeah, I mean, that this, this initiative originally came out of the Governor's Office of Information Technology. And one of the things I'd like to see is, is a way for us, even if it is, like we're doing today mm -hmm. online, a, a way to continue our, uh, the conversation so that for those you know, additional local technology planning teams that might start up someplace else, they have a place to go and figure out how to set one up, how it should be run, who should be a member of it, what do you, what should you be focused on? So best, best practices, lessons learned type of thing, mm -hmm. but have it up at a state level. I think it makes sense to have it there, right? And so to push everything up from the bottom, right? Okay. By the way, did you say there were ten or eleven regions? I, uh, or twelve? Oh, no, there. I think there are there are fifteen local technology okay. planes. I might be wrong on the number, but okay. We won't hold you to that, except it will be recorded in Twitter. So oh, there, there you go. go. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm in trouble then. Um, <laughs> what's interesting, you know, in, in that realm, you know, following that strategy line, in Maryland, England, Maryland, pretty Maryland, so they have different broadband projects throughout the state, but they are multi-county projects. But what they did was they had all of their planning teams for, call it the regional network efforts, but then the governor mandated that there be... Um, a quarterly meeting, and there were key stakeholders identified from all these regions, and unless you were dead, you had to be at the meeting. I mean, there was like, there was no wavering about it, but the person that was talking about this at a conference said that um, because that process was in place, and it was mandated, you had to participate, that it allowed all of these entities to work in some semblance of a, you know, coordinated fashion, sharing information, best practices, or what have you, and overall, they feel that the state of Maryland has moved, you know, has pushed the broadband needle, you know, ahead fairly well. And I don't know, I know that yesterday Phil talked about the governor of Illinois. They have a champion. Has a champion. Yeah, right. What about here in Colorado? Do you guys have a champion? And, you know, do you see these regional efforts, you know, there be a, at least a champion for the idea of unifying these regional efforts to some extent? Well, I, I, again, I think the challenge is, is that we need to, we need to figure out a way in this next year. What I'd like to see happen anyways is, is that we all come together and stop working separately, but mm -hmm. try to figure out a way, you know, again, to come together and try to figure, um, uh, come up with, uh, um, you know, a, a fundamental um, construct for how we should be running. What should, be, what should we work on um, and what can we work on collectively? You know, we, we have our own issues in each part of the state mm -hmm. because 
all the different parts of the state have different concerns, right? So um, th that's always going to be a little bit different. But we already have the mechanism. We just have to figure out a way to get some synergy behind it. And right now I would say that we have um, a lot of different champions at a local level, but we need, we need um, probably a champion at the state level. Is that a fair, fair assessment, Ron? I do. I, I agree with that as well. I mean, I think the governor's office has done a much better job. Yeah. Um, in the recent years um, than, you know, in previous administrations with the, uh, you know, creation of OIT, uh, Governor's Office of Information Technology, and at least starting to put together, um, you know, trying to rein in their own users um, and, and what they're doing and, and trying to consolidate that. And then, but I agree, I think we need to do a lot more at the, uh, at the state level on, you know, breaking down those silos to what, individual, you know, entities and communities are doing because, you know, a lot of times we don't know what our neighboring county is working on, which could directly impact a project that we're working on. Mm -hmm. I'm always surprised when I hear from somebody in a different part of the state on something that's being worked on there. I had no idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that shouldn't be the case. Right. You know, if we're moving it in the right, we're, if we're moving the needle in the right direction, that should never be the case. Right. One of the interesting, I guess, challenges um, that you have in, in a state such as Colorado is you have the technology itself is a solution to what you're, what you're talking about in many respects. If there is a, an effective broadband network, you can coordinate all of your various groups and subgroups and all of that, you know, because they can all find ways to unify and, and touch base with each other and do it online. But then reality creeps in, which is, you know, like some of the guys that have come to the to the to the Calix booth, there aren't there isn't anything in their area, right? So you can't you can't unify the planning for those communities using the internet and that presents problems. It's not unique actually to, to Colorado. It is similar to other heavily rural states. Mm -hmm. But as they try to pull their state collectively up, that the easiest tool to help do that is 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 impractical in some respects just only because people don't have it. Right. And it presents a challenge for them to try to overcome that that uh, that hurdle. Um, I want to shift gears for a second here. I want to talk about um, you know, I've broken down, and we have talked a little bit, but I've broken down like four phases. And I'm thinking that it would be helpful as kind of a first step in determining what kind of information to gather for communities to figure out which of these areas they're in, right? So the one phase is, you know, what is it? There are a bunch of people have no idea what broadband is. They may have a general inkling because of all the Google activity, but their primary, you know, sort of unifying thing is we don't know what this thing is, right? Um, and then the other group is, okay, they start to get an idea about what it is, but then it's, well, why do we need it? And, and, and I can point to probably the, you know, all 50 states and say, you know, there are groups of people who say, yep, this sounds like a good thing, but do we really need it? You know, you brought up the point before we went on air about, oh, no, I'm sorry, not you, Hunter, Hunter um, Newbie. Newbie, Newbie, which is, you know, yes, broadband is transformative, but you got to realize a lot of people don't like change, right. right? And so you've got that category. Then you have, um, we know we need to do this, and now we have a plan, 
right? And I would say maybe um, a third of the folks that I've talked to here are at the, you know, we are at least starting to build the plan, right? We're, we're trying to pull the pieces together. And then there is the group that, you know, we've got the plan, now we're just ready to execute. Right. So, and again, you can, we can take this one at a time, but what do the communities in the first phase, what do they need? Do they need a bunch of, you know, broadband 101 courses and that should, like, get them ready for the next step? Or what, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I do. I mean, they just need, again, it goes back to identify, you know, the problem. Mm-hmm. You know, what do, what are you lacking in your community? And you don't necessarily have to be the technical expert on that. Um, you, you can always bring in the subject matter, matter experts and, you know, and have them walk you through different scenarios, have them explain to you what you have and what you don't have. Um, because most, again, most people don't know. So it's, that's a good, that's a very good starting point right there. And that will at least help you identify so that you know what you have now and, and what you need. Mm -hmm. You know, your question about, you know, people say, you know, do we really need it? I mean, you can go back to, you know, all the way back through history. Why do we need railroad tracks? Why do we need a national highway system? Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's the same thing with broadband, um, same com- concept. You know, we, you know, we're going to need this in, in the future, so it has to be built. Mm-hmm. Now, what's your, what's your take? What do you do with the, the total newbies? What kind of information, you know, especially you as a conference provider, a planner, and also an ISP, what, what do you give those folks? Well, I, you know, again, it's a balance. It's a balance with the information you provide. So, you know, it, you're going to get a lot of um, deer in the headlight looks if you <laughs> send, you know, um, if you if you have a lot of technical detail you're going right. to throw at people who don't have the expertise to actually absorb what you're communicating to them. So it's a balance, mm-hmm. and you try to shift people to where they're where they best fit. Okay. So then, let's talk about. Um, Phase two, right? We understand what it is, but why do we need it? And we'll, we'll start with you, Jeff, and switch around. So what, what do you give the folks who are, you know, saying, why do we need to do this? They're the conservative folks, the folks who are looking at this as some newfangled thing. How do you get them past their, you know, conservative, not politically speaking conservative, but just like personal avoidance of change? Well, I, I, th- I think you need to figure out what resonates with that group ah, of people. Okay. And I think uh-huh. if you can figure out what resonates with them, the message is easier to listen to, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also think, you know, I want to take a little bit of a step back to the first phase. You know, one of the, if we talk about the regional effort, we need to see more collaboration, I think. Mm-hmm. Collaboration is very powerful if it's done in the right manner. And, you know, one, one of those areas where collaboration is very valuable is to say that, you know, if Ron has a project and Ron is using outside consultants, actually adds value to the town of Ale and what he's trying to get accomplished, that kind of information is valuable to somebody else who doesn't necessarily have the ability to evaluate that kind of advice. Do you agree with that, Ron? I do, definitely. And that's really important. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a, you know, that's another missing piece, the collaboration part. Okay. How, how do you get past the folks who are change avoidant? Well, again, it's just, you know, even like what Jeff said is, you know, bring it down to their level. What's important to them? Is it, is it technology in the home? Is it, 
you know, what is their hot button? Right. Um, again, and it's using those analogies. You know, why why did we put in roads? Why did we put in electricity? Why did we, you know, go to the automobile? It's it's kind of that same concept. Okay. So now then, and we'll start with Jeff this time. So you're in phase three now. The communities are in front of you are uh, at this point where they have a plan or they're, they're starting to, to develop their plan. What do they need? What kind of information do they need? Or knowledge. Um, I mean, yeah, they need to obviously educate themselves, um, you know, and again, bringing in the stakeholders, um, who's affected, uh, bringing in the, you know, the various vendors to see what, you know, what type of technology is out there. Mm -hmm. And and again, starting to build that business case um, so that you can make it sustainable, because that's really the key. It's not only you know, putting that infrastructure in, but it's also that mechanism in place to make it sustainable. Because we see so many projects, you know, so many, you know, over history time and time again that that are, whether it's grant funded, privately funded, um, that they put the infrastructure in and then there's no mechanism in place to sustain it. Ah, uh, yeah, sustainability. No, so, yeah, I don't think I could say it any better. Right? <laughs> uh, you know, future-proofing and sustainability are, are, are so vital. And, you know, maybe one other comment is, is to, you know, understand your own limitations right. and, and have a technology-agnostic approach initially. Tech-agnostic is key. Hard to get to sometimes. Yes, yes. So, so let me ask my, what might be a touchy question, but that's why we're here. Um, one of the, I think, things that, that's, that uh, conference organizers struggle with is that they need sponsorship money to help make the, the event profitable. But those people who are writing the checks to be sponsors want to have an opportunity to sell. And sometimes it is hard to control that person, once they take the mic in particular, from turning it into a sales pitch. And, right. and if I hear grumbling that is like consistent across lines, it's that, you know, they sat through a sales pitch, but it come, you know, but it comes back to the conference has got to have money to survive. How do you balance that? Because I, I think that you're in a, in a rough spot that way. Well, you know, one of the things I tried to do this year, and I, I guess, I guess our audience will tell us if I did this well enough was, um, you know, I'll use Comcast for an example. I, when I approached Comcast, I think one of the ways that I got them to come and sponsor the event was to say to them, look, you've, you know, I, I, I'm involved in a lot of these conversations around the state, and one of the companies I don't hear a lot about is Comcast. And I don't think a lot of people know what your impact is here. Mm-hmm. Um, good or bad, I still don't think a lot of people realize what you're doing here. They may know what you're doing on a federal level, so one of the first questions I asked them is, how many people do you employ here? So when they said 7,000, you know, right away, that is, you know, how do you, that's a very positive message. Mm-hmm. And, and so we talked a lot about sort of branding Comcast. Let people know what they've done, what they are doing, and what they plan to do in the state. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the message that you should convey. Mm-hmm. And I was very fortunate because they, they agreed with that. And so I thought they did a fairly good job of that yesterday. And same thing with, you know, a, a bigger provider like AT&T. Mm-hmm. And it will be interesting because, as you know, I'm leading a panel at um, 2 p.m. at 2 with providers and a lot of the big-name providers. 
I didn't and, even put you on the spot there, but no, 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 that's, that's totally fine. <laughs> I kind of challenged me, right? It challenged me how to, you know, ask some pointed questions without going into my like super pro community broadband stands. But I think the value is if they are willing to answer tough questions honestly, because the real question, I think, the center question to ask is, you know, we the communities are going in a direction. And we, the communities, both because of legislative issues and a number of other factors, don't necessarily want to go it alone and in some cases don't want to be the broadband provider. However, we want to get to that goal. Right. So now what are you, the providers, going to do to help us in some partnership way to move the needle forward? And I think that's the point when the providers have got to strip away the hype and totally come out of sales mode to say, look, here's an honest discussion about what we will and we won't do. Well, and that's one reason why I wanted that panel to be constructed that way. I thought it would be good for the state, you know, for the people who are here to, to have all the major providers on one panel mm -hmm. and, and to ask them, you know, sh you know, in the short to near term, what are you going to do? Mm -hmm. You know, what, what are the challenges and opportunities in Colorado? Right. And so I needed to find somebody who had, you know, some skills to, to moderate that Walk panel, that and I chose line. you. So. <laughs> <laughs> I may be the goat, I may be the hero, you never can tell. So let's finish up, we've got about 10 minutes to go, but let's talk about that fourth element, right? These are the communities they've planned, now they're ready to deploy. What's, and you have been through several deployment phases, Ron, over the, you know, with Vail, you know, what's the information that you need to, to be effective in that phase of existence. Yeah, I mean, just from a planning standpoint, you know, you can't spend enough time on on this phase. Um, it's, it's so important. You've got to go through so many different processes legislatively from, you know, your permitting process oh, to yeah. your design and review mm -hmm. to everything, you know, your designation. Are you designated as a utility or something else? There's a lot of processes that you have to go through and a lot of departments that you touch mm -hmm. internally. It's easy for me because I know the process, but nobody else does, you know, the fact that they're going to touch our community development department. They're going to touch our public works department, the IT department. It's, you know, and that takes time and every department and every entity has a different process mm -hmm. that you're going to have to go through. And it's expectations and realities too, right? We, yeah, ex I call it expectation management. Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so it's, it's a tough, you know, it's, you just can't spend enough time in the planning phase because what the individual departments don't want, what community development doesn't want, and what public works doesn't want is amateur hour. Right. They want you, when, they, when you send them a packet, they want it to be complete. Mm -hmm. The last thing that they want is to have to send it back to you for more information or for updates. So, you know, you need to have all of your ducks in a row from a design standpoint, from an engineering standpoint, from a permitting standpoint, to how you're going to do traffic control. When you, you know, when you start construction on the project, there's so many different facets of, you know, of municipal development that you have to go through. And, you know, you need to educate yourself or at least ask the right questions on, okay, what do I need? Exactly what do I need? And I will get it to you the first time uh, complete. So otherwise you're going to 
put yourself into, you know, a continuous vicious circle from a uh, from a timing standpoint because the individual departments again they hate that. Right, 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 and that would make a lot of sense. So I, I, I come up, I'll come at this from an outsider's perspective, if you will. You know, we're working on a county project uh, down in the region where I live, and uh, we were trying to bring some capacity to uh, the county road and bridge building, and. So what we were going to do is a trade for service. So we'd, we'd put up the infrastructure, a wireless infrastructure, provide them capacity, but then we would have the ability to do last mile services off that new tower infrastructure. But as soon as we got in front of all of the, as Ron described, all the appropriate county departments, guess what? Now the expectation's been shifted because now this is a nine-month nine process rather than... Um, you know, a 30 or 60 day process. It, mm -hmm. It's going to take the better part of nine months. So we had, we have to shift. Mm -hmm. So not knowing that up front, um, again, going back to expectation setting mm -hmm. um, is, is very important. And I have to yeah. let people at the table. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yeah. And just planning, you know, how are you going to get power? You know, how, you know, and is it going to be on city power, you know, or are you going to have to set your own meter? Mm -hmm. um, I mean, everything has to be taken into, you know, consideration. So there's, you know, it, it does, it takes time. Mm -hmm. So now we've got about seven minutes or so. I want to wrap up with an interesting communication dilemma. All right, and then we, you know, we did talk about this for a couple of minutes before we went live. So in the world of technology, the pilot project is... <laughs> is a sacrosanct you know, institution. You create a pilot project so before you spend a bazillion dollars on a project so you don't waste money. Um, in broadband, it has gone from, say, in the, in the Muni Wi-Fi days that, that, that Ron remembers so well, where you could have groups of vendors testing the technology, right, because you're really worried about would vendor A's technology work or not and all of that. In broadband, we don't have some of those same issues of will the technology work, but there are a, a slew of assumptions made about broadband that a good pilot project will test. However, we seem to have this communication issue of the word pilot scares the bejeebers out of people. And I've talked to folks you know, from the FCC, uh, electric co-ops, you know, some community broadband people, and a vendor that do not want to use the word pilot but the exercise is vital to gathering the information needed to communicate with the community about why this project has validity. So we'll start with Ron. <laughs> and um, so, so really, I guess the question is, how do we present the pilot without using the, off, the awful pilot word to get people to feel comfortable with the fact that they need to do that exercise? Yeah, and I mean, it, and it is. It's a double-edged sword. So, but... You know, and there's some validity to that, though. I mean, you you can't replicate in a pilot project what you can in a real-life environment. Mm -hmm. We go through that all the time with our 911 systems. You know, we will be testing something in the lab to see if it actually works. And when we put it actually into production, you know, something we didn't think about or, you know, some capacity issue raises its ugly head. And, and so it's hard you know, it's hard, it is hard to replicate, you know, the, those things in the lab. And it goes back to what Jeff was saying, too, and what we talked about, expectation management. When we roll this thing out, it's going to have hiccups. Um, and we are going to have to probably do a few course corrections and make some changes. And it's probably not going to be smooth. 
Um, even if we tested it in the lab, it's still not going to be a smooth transition into production. So we just have to, you know, people need to be patient uh, when we roll this thing out that it's going to take a while to work the bugs out. Hmm. Okay. Jeff, yeah, and, and, and maybe a better word is you know, fe feasibility analysis. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, at the end of the day, I really think it also boils down to what technology are we actually talking about mm -hmm. where, where we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna study that. Um, obviously, in, in a wireless um, situation, the cost of doing a feasibility study, let, I'll give you an example. If we wanted to test white space frequency, mm -hmm. um, our cost is probably going to be less than $5,000 to actually test it. Mm -hmm. um, and for us to go out and find um, last mile residents, for example, who might want to might want to try this and balance it with the connection they currently have. Um, that's a little bit cheaper, but if you're talking, there's, I don't really see how you can do a, um, a feasibility analysis on a fiber project because of the cost. If you're talking about a technology feasibility. Exactly. Right, because like, for example, Como Electric in Missouri built a um, pilot project over the quarter of their intended service area, and they built it out fully but what they were testing were take rates, prices, messaging, uh, construction issues. They were testing the mechanics of broadband, but they weren't really testing the, you know, the likelihood of the technology to succeed or fail. They right. pretty much are comfortable. Already knew that. Right. right. And so it does present an interesting thing. So last question, one minute each, uh, starting with Jeff. Gigabit, do we continue to talk about it as a speed or do we talk about it as a concept to best communicate so that people understand what we're doing here? I, I'll go back to something I said earlier, which is I think we ought to be talking about needs. Okay. And not, not having it fixed to a number um, or a conceptual number. And, it, and that doesn't mean that what Google is doing around the country is, uh, is a bad thing. I just think we really need to be focused on needs mm -hmm. because those are two different things. Right, exactly. Um, and, and in some cases, we, we um, as a society, overvalue, overvalue our own consumption. Mm -hmm. And I think if you look at actual raw numbers, um, sometimes it tells a different story. Mm -hmm. I, w I would definitely agree with that. Um, it's, you know, is it really needed? You know, we know we need it on the transport side, you know, on the back end, um, you know, but on the front end gigabit, well, you know, we, we kind of need, we're not even close to getting, you know, megabit in some places. Um, so, you know, we're putting the cart in front of the horse in that case. We need to solve some of our basic problems on the front end before we can start talking about that next that next technology that's out there. Mm -hmm. Interesting. So, gentlemen, both of you have been very valuable to have you here. It's been, I think, extremely valuable because we've gotten two sides of, you know, of the provider of information that as the you know entities being communicated to. And I think that's very valuable. And I think that you know our audience should you know find out more about what Vail is doing. Uh, learn more about Mountain Connect. You know, if you're in Colorado, consider attending next year. But there's a lot of knowledge that both of these guests have accumulated. I think it's very valuable for our audience. Um, in closing, uh, besides thank you again, gentlemen, for, for being here, uh, everyone uh, pay attention because next week, I haven't figured out which day yet, um, we're going to have the, the panel discussion that I'm about to have in an hour 
with all of these ISPs asking about, you know, their expectations of their roles as partners with communities. I think it's going to be a very valuable panel. I think there's going to be some interesting comments that will come out of that and maybe some uncomfortable ones, but that's okay. And so we're recording that, and that will be on Gigabit Nation next week. And I think you definitely want to catch that show. So everybody, thank you for listening in. Uh, stay, stay tuned. We'll be back on the air again next week. Thank you and goodbye.